0: grassroots levels with World Cup and European Championship experience. Hello and welcome to another edition of Leader Manager Coach, Rob Ryles here to take you through the next few minutes. Welcome back if it's your first time with us on the podcast. It's Leader Manager Coach and it's specifically designed for anybody who's a leader, anybody who's a manager, anybody who's a coach specifically in the world of football, but very, very much related to all kinds of sports and, you know, definitely life in general. So very, very warm welcome. Today, what I'd like to share with you is something that I've worked on about five years ago. And I don't know if anybody can relate to this. Anybody out there has done anything like this? And I'm sure many of you have. I was inspired about five years ago. In fact, it was probably more than five years ago. So the story is that a very eminent England football coach, with one of the international youth teams, somebody I'm uh, very good friends with and somebody who means a great deal to me, I've got a great deal of respect for. We were sitting in a hotel having a cup of tea and we were talking about the psychology and um, game strategies and so on. We were talking about a particular book and I'll mention that book in a minute and he said, you know what, I'd really love to understand how that book could be related to our game and how it could help me and how it could help other people. So that struck a chord in me. So I went away and essentially, amazingly enough, I never told this coach that I'd done this because it took me such a long time. The book was called The Art of War and many of you will have heard that. If you haven't heard of it, The Art of War, which I'll explain to you in a minute. And I'm not exactly sure, I think it's a 2000 year old. It's a classic Chinese text and it's considered to be as relevant today in matters of leadership and strategy as it was at the time of its inception. It's essentially a study and a how-to, almost a manual if you like, but of fundamental philosophical wisdom about organised conflict. And it's got an absolute plethora of wisdom in it, which is not only applicable to sport, but it's applicable to everyday life and specifically competition and winning. You know, at the end of the day, I think we've got, especially in academy football, we have a, a little bit of a block and we have a little bit of a misunderstanding of about winning because At the end of the day, it's how we define the word of winning. So I don't think anybody out there in life wants to be a loser. So if you don't want to be a loser, by definition, is it true to say that you must want to be a winner? Now, winning doesn't necessarily mean winning a game, a competition by 10 goals to nil, annihilating the opposition and making them feel worthless, which is what we concern ourselves with in young sports people, especially in academy football, where it's all about development. So I think we perhaps need to revisit that, and that would be a great idea for another podcast. So we're talking about winning in life, or being successful in life. Now this text, The Art of War, was originally compiled by a Chinese warrior and philosopher from the Taoist philosophy, Taoist, T-A-O-I-S-T. Again, if you've never read or heard of the Tao Te Ching, T-A-O, Tao, it is readable in... I don't know, a couple of sittings. It's a handful of chapters and it's a complete philosophy. It is absolutely phenomenal. Anybody who's interested in digging a little bit deeper, the Tao Te Ching TAO, see if you can look that up and uh, fully, fully, fully recommend it. As I said before, this philosophy, in my humble opinion, um, it's applicable to politics, to business, to sport and life in general. And so what I did, I went away and over the next few months I really attempted to analyse this book, The Art of War, and apply it to leaders, managers and coaches, specifically in football. Now, yes, it's applicable to football, but it's also applicable to other sports as well, and to life in general. So I'm really excited. I'm going to spend, certainly this podcast, and there are 13 individual chapters in this, 13 points that need to be covered, and I'm going to touch on each of them. Just as an introduction to this philosophy and hopefully you'll get loads and loads out of it so i'm going to hopefully end up with a few points at the end of each chapter so that you can take those away and then as with everything if you're inspired to go away and do a deep dive study on it well all the better that's what i'm aiming with all this it's not about me espousing wisdom and thinking oh you know he knows a lot i don't know a lot at all um i know what i know and the more i know the more i realize i don't know so it's all about facilitating sharing and stimulating so I believe that the art of war, this book, the knowledge in this book, it has what I'd call a practical value, which is of utmost importance, because at the end of the day, it's what we do in life, isn't it? It's not what we think. It's not what we believe. It's what we do. I mean, if you go out and see somebody across the street and you help somebody, they'll be eternally grateful for you for what you've done for them. You can look at them and think, oh, I hope they go on okay. It's debatable as to how much that's a positive in their life, although there are people who will disagree with me. So it does have a spiritual value, but it has a very, very practical value. It definitely leans towards the leadership side of things. And the standout thing about this book is it's almost full of paradoxes. And sometimes the more I get, I suppose, educated is the right word about life, the more I think that life is a series of paradoxes. The big standout for me was it talks about winning without fighting. And it deep dives into the understanding of conflict. So that you avoid the negative consequences of conflict. It talks about using knowledge as power. And it talks about the creation of harmony. Which is again a paradox when the title of the book is The Art of War. It talks about detachment. It talks about subtlety. It talks about practical things like good administration. Planning, trust, humility. And all these things and their relevance to creating success in a specific area of life. And as I said, it's made up of 13 chapter headings. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a go at going through and providing you with some key standout points from these chapters. And I'm going to work through them. We'll see how we get on. Okay, so here we go. Chapter one is basically strategy. So how to develop a successful game strategy. The quote at the beginning of the first chapter from The Art of War says, The victorious warriors win and then go to war. The defeated go to war and try to win. Now, if we analyze that, what that's almost saying is, and this is something that's been in my mind for a long time, is that imagine the scenario, you are there with your team as the coach, as the manager, as the leader, and you are so confident because of what you've done, your preparation, what you've got under your belt that you've won before you actually step into the ring or step onto that pitch or over that white line. Imagine that. Now, I don't think there's anybody because that's the idea of life, isn't it? It's full of uncertainty and it's can we, can't we? What's the possibilities? What's the risk? What's the reward? If it was an absolute nailed on 100% certainty, there wouldn't be any sport because nobody would be interested. But imagine having that state of mind where you are already so confident because of what you've done before. And within this strategy, creating this strategy that creates this kind of situation for you where you're so confident because of what you've done. The Art of War talks about five particular aspects. Number one, it calls the way. This is essentially the way, the style or the philosophy of going about your affairs. It's how you do what you do. And I think it's very much a characteristic thing. There's a famous quote, and I can't remember who said it, and it's something like, the way you do anything is the way you do everything. Which is essentially saying that if you are an untidy, forgetful, I'll use the word lazy, you're unconcerned about your appearance, maybe you are unconcerned about whether you have all your tools available, your equipment, whether you're on time, unconcerned about whether you remember people's names. It's highly unlikely that on a particular day you will turn up on time, You'll be smartly and appropriately dressed. You will have all your equipment and tools cleaned, ready, available. And you'll have done lots of preparation. It's possible. But if you study people, you will find that we are all creatures of habit. And what you do and how you do things is generally how you do everything. And there's a great benefit in that, isn't there? Because if we want to improve something in our lives, if we look at doing it in one area... It's therefore, if we believe in this philosophy, it's going to have a knock-on effect to another area of life. So actually, it has a massive compounding positive effect. And paradoxically, it also has a massively negative compounding effect. So it's how we do things. Then it talks on about more practical things, the very practical things. And if you're in Britain, then you'll recognize this one. It's called the weather. And it talks about studying and analyzing how the weather has such an effect. Very simply... It affects our morale. If it's grey, it's cold, it's rainy, or it's adverse weather, it is psychologically more testing, and it's the same for both sides. And that has to be taken into account. There used to be a little bit of a premiership thing in England going on where people said, you know, the last place that people want to go is to a cold, wet, rainy Tuesday night at the Britannia Stadium. Well, maybe it's not been so true recently, but... It certainly was true for a while, but that used to test the psychological fortitude of many a European player because it wasn't warm, it was hostile, it was cold, it was a challenge. You know, it tested people's fortitude in other ways above and beyond their technical ability. So number three, they talk about the terrain. This is, again, an effect of the ground. If we're talking about warfare and terrain, hills, mountains, valleys... You know, woods, streams, they're all things that generals have to take into account. If we're talking about the terrain, if you're going to play a, an FA Cup third round replay away at a non-league club where there's no undersoil heating, the ground's rutted, the pitch is two yards away from the edge of the grass and you're not allowed to have any of your supporters in, that's a completely different scenario than if you're playing at Old Trafford in front of 60,000 people, 57,000 of which of your own supporters on a billiard table carpet demands a totally different mindset and it needs to be taken into account the next thing number four leadership it actually talks about the importance of leadership in strategy and how important it is to actually create that strategy and be involved in that strategy with your warriors if you like so it's a little bit of a general one that but it talks about the importance of leadership in strategy and number five it talks about discipline 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 You know, and it says, has there ever been a characteristic that has been responsible for the downfall of more individuals or even societies or anything in particular more than a lack of discipline? I doubt it. You know, I think there's many examples of discipline. We all know, don't we? Players who've got sent off, let their team down and how much time, for example, great sports teams. I think it may be the All Blacks. They spend an inordinate amount of time teaching their players and educating their players and training their players to control their mind for those brief but vital 20 seconds when the red mist can descend and you can do something out of character or in character and you can lose your place on the pitch which puts your team at a disadvantage and you could essentially lose the greatest trophy in your club's history if you've got a World Cup final or whatever it is and you, you know, Zinedine Zidane will tell you that he lost his head and he got sent off, um, which had a negative effect on his team, obviously so discipline, discipline, discipline. So essentially what does it mean for us managers and coaches, it means we need to understand that the way we do things is important. We need to probably be constantly reminding at least in the early days about our warriors and our players and our staff about our methodologies and our standards. the weather. We need to take into account whether clothing, equipment, advice, education, uh, hydration if it's particularly hot, nutrition, the effect it has on players of different cultures, players of different physical abilities, etc, etc. Terrain. We need to know what the terrain is, and that might actually, in sport, be relevant to travel. It might be relevant to how we get there. If you've got to travel an hour and a half over windy roads before you get to a particular stadium well that's a lot different than having a 35 minute train journey there it can have a significant physical and psychological effect weather certainly has an effect on training i mean you know players will tell you that wind destroys coaching sessions driving rain where people are cold and can't hear what the coach is trying to say has a massive negative effect nobody wants to stand around in the cold when they can't hear what's going on and can't see the point of the training session and the objective. It's not fun, it's not productive, and it will have negative effects. So can we organise ourselves looking ahead into the future so we can train inside in better facilities at different times when the weather's going to be more positive? That's why teams have breaks where they go to Dubai in warm climes and Portugal and, and Southern Europe so that they can take advantage of great training facilities in great environments so that they come back refreshed and stronger and feel good about themselves because of what they've been able to do and um, that's often to do with the weather okay leadership again make sure that as a leader you are earning your leadership you are going about your daily activities in the right way and setting the example it's the way so setting the example and discipline again you know make sure that you've got order in your environment there's guidance there's certainty There's security, there's focus, and you know what it is you require of your players, period. And that's the first chapter. It's taken us a few minutes to go over that, but it's about creating that strategy. So if you can use those five points to create a strategy, I don't think you'll go far wrong. Okay, let's move on to chapter two. Chapter two, doing battle. Standout quote from this is, If you continue for a long time, it'll dull your forces and blunt your edge. What is best? Quick victory and a speedy return. I think this is obvious, just like many things. You know, if you are spending your time in hard-fought, extra times, heavy conditions, games every three or four days, and it's a relentless slog, and every game is a battle, and you're out of possession all the time in football, and you're chasing, you're harrying, you're pressing, you know... You've only got a certain amount of physicality and psychological fortitude in players to continue. How much better to be ruthless, incisive and skillful and create a victory with less running, less demands and and less attrition on your players. And that's what this one's all about. It talks about planning and preparation to do battle so that it's not a battle you actually can find where your opposition's weaknesses are and you can exploit them. Study the situation. Understand the consequences. Act swiftly but act with humility and discipline so it relates to the first one. Get in, get the job done and get out. Understand the logistics and do what is necessary quickly and efficiently. So essentially, it's about planning. And I think we can sum this one up in planning and analysis. We talked about in a previous podcast how Pep Guardiola spends masses of time studying the opposition. Don Revy used to do it for Leeds United in the 70s. And I don't think it's wasted. I think it's knowledge. and Whether you use it or not, that's up to you as a leader and a manager. But um, you can certainly take advantage of that kind of knowledge. Another little thing in this is beware of the razzmatazz number of times players who've got to FA Cup finals, probably the biggest game of their career, have said by the time they get to the game, with the demands of media, the demands of family after tickets, and the great big build-up and the length of time building up to the game, they're psychologically and physically worn out. And they haven't been able to keep that focus and that professional calm quietness to focus on what they need to do to be victorious in the game. So be prepared. Don't be under any illusions. Do your homework and uh, prepare for success rather than turn up and say, right lads, let's get on with this and let's see what happens. Number three, planning a siege. Again, it's very much related to doing battle. It talks very much about knowing the opposition, but also knowing yourself and understanding the situation. So it's probably a little bit more of an in-depth analysis of planning, really. In this chapter, it talks about, you know, can you win without a fight? Can you render your enemy helpless? without a fight or do you have to get involved can you get them to surrender psychologically can you find out where they're vulnerable can you understand when and under what circumstances they will be in disarray can you mislead them and if you have the relevant amount of knowledge and you've studied you may be able to find one or two weaknesses and i'm sure that in your sporting life you can look back and say yes i can remember that and i can remember this can you exercise patience and do you trust your people who are on the pitch or on the track or in the ring? Can you trust them? Can you delegate them to do the job that you ask them to do? And within this chapter, they talk about five ways to ensure the victory in a siege. Number one, know when to fight and when not to. Number two, know when to use many and when to use few troops. So, you know, do you go on an all-out attack or do you just sit tight and get your players to do less running and soak up pressure and then counter-attack? Create the same desire in all your ranks So make sure all your players or everybody in your team is on the same page. Be prepared. Simple said time and time again in many strategies of success, but you know, it's so, so important. The last one is do not allow your generals to be constrained by a civilian government. That means for me, have a great communication with your key players, your captain, if you like, or your senior players and let them take their wisdom from you, not from outside sources. So very kind of briefly look at how we make sure, again, I think this is study of the opposition. It's about finding out where they're weak. If you know your opposition aren't great in possession or a team of runners and they've got energy for fun, can you set up, or as they say, an old saying from a couple of years ago, park the bus, you know, let them run around, you keep possession and get them worn out psychologically. Muhammad Ali's rope-a-dope against George Foreman, 1974. Rounds and rounds and rounds, one after the other, lying on the ropes, protecting himself, defence, 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 defence. Foreman wears himself out and then Ali knocks him out because he's got nothing else to give. Can you look at that and is that a strategy that you could use? Or is it one where you need to hone in on one particular area of the pitch where you know your opposition is weak. They've got a weak left side because they've got injuries and they've got young players in on the left-hand side, people without experience. So can you facilitate exploitation of that particular area? Maybe you can. You know, you can get two quick goals. Wouldn't it be great if a life worked like that? But you could possibly do that. And essentially, the game could be over and the rest of the game is you could save your legs, you could defend and control the game in a manner without wearing yourself out and having to go into battle okay, let's just do one more and then we'll probably have to move on to another podcast for the next one or maybe I can get another two in. Number four, doing formation. This is a biggie for football. This is a biggie, formation. How many times do we hear coaches and managers and people involved in football, even supporters and whoever, talking about 4-4-2 and 4-3-3 and whatever it is, 4-1-4-1, etc., etc., etc. The quote from this chapter when water accumulates in a deep canyon, no one can measure its amount. Just as our defense shows no form, when the water is released, it rushes down in a torrent just as our attack is irresistible. For me, that just talks about counter-attack. don't know why, but it just talks about counterattack Soaking up, soaking up, soaking up. Keep the potential there, the potential's there, the potential's there. We're not using it. We're not unleashing the sword. We're just being humble. We're just protecting our goal. We're just dealing with it, dealing with it, dealing with it. And when the opposition allow us that opportunity the water's released rushes down in a torrent and the attack is irresistible the opposition can do nothing about it again that's relevant to all those great counter-attacking analogies where we spy our chance and spy our time it talks about making yourself invisible formless or unfathomable because that is the best defense if your opposition cannot work out how to deal with you because they just can't get a grasp on your formation you have a fluidity about you because that's what the water analogy is it's a fluidity i'm going to go back to that coach who inspired me to start doing some study on this and he used to play a back four and a front six goalkeeper back four and a front six i actually think this is an international coach here he's not bothered about four three three or four one four one or whatever and he's just saying no because i've got great players and we'll play a front six we had a discussion with a danish team manager after a game once. And in the first half, the Danes did really well. And in the second half, we went on and we won the game quite comfortably. And we didn't change anything at half time. The coach was a great one for that. He used to say, if we're winning 4-0, we'll just keep doing the same thing. If we're losing 2-0, we'll just keep doing the same thing because that's the game plan. And gave the lads loads of confidence. What a great way to be. So this Danish coach, we had an hour with him after the game and we talked about, you know, lots of things. How are getting on and what's your training like and, you know, what's your strategies and philosophies, et cetera, et cetera. And he said. I couldn't believe it in the second half when you changed it, and then you went to four-three-three, and then you went to four-two-four, and then you went to four-one-four-one, and then you went to a complete four-five-one. And we thought we never did because we didn't. And essentially, what he was seeing was our team being fluid, being available, and able to create counterattacks, and sometimes fullbacks pushing on and deep line central midfielders dropping in, etc., etc. They, they they just did that because they've been coached it and they knew it but we didn't specifically say go to these particular formations. So it's amazing what people think, and it's amazing what that fluidity can do. And that's what I think this is talking about in terms of formation. So it says move swiftly when the enemy are most vulnerable. That's obvious, isn't it? You know, counterattack, do it. Incisive, penetrate, bump. Be ruthless, be clinical. How many times have we had golden opportunities and lost games or not won games because we haven't been ruthless in front of goal? Speed is the essence, and the aim is to attack in a way that cannot be prepared for. If you attack quickly and learn to attack quickly and practice attacking quickly, you can be formidable. You really can. Make sure you've got discipline, you've got trust, you've got loyalty. They're essential characteristics that go along with any formation. So I think this one is about being fluid and being adaptable. So how can you be fluid and be adaptable with your players? Can you teach them to do that? Let's go back to the late, great Johan Krauf, who talked about his young players at Ajax and Barcelona and, you know, making them play in different positions. So they learned how to play in different positions and respected the opposition and thought, well, if that's how a defender wants to play, well, I'm going to play the opposite way. And the learning from that, it can be on another sphere, can't it? So it's the art of war. we talked about strategy. We've talked about doing battle. We've talked about planning the siege. And we've talked about formation. And we talked about some real good sub points from doing that. Discipline, planning execution, character, and being able to counterattack, fluidity and formation. Hope you've got something out of it. I've really enjoyed it. That's the first four chapters. I'm going to do a follow-up podcast on the next few chapters. I might have to do two podcasts to get them in in half an hour, but um, keen to share it. This book, The Art of War, I've sent it off to a publisher. It's been returned to me because I need to do some changes. I need to add a little bit more depth and content. And then hopefully sometime coming up this book will be available to purchase it's specifically for coaches and managers it's specifically about football but it has so much relevance to other sports as well so that'll be available sometime I'll let you know but anyway thanks for listening appreciate you taking the time to uh, listen to this podcast if you like it share it with somebody and if you think it can help them that'll be great thanks for listening I'll catch you again bye-bye